Hey everyone, Eric Watson here, and this is the recorded audio of a DM-only live stream in which I prepare for our next live session and chat with fans twice a week at my Rogue Watson YouTube channel. Please note that these streams are full of DM spoilers. This was not originally intended for an audio-only format, but has been converted to a podcast for your convenience. The channel and by extension this podcast are supported by Patreon. If you'd like to support my work, you can do so at patreon.com slash roguewatson. Enjoy the show. And here, freelance writer, player of games, writer, board, recorder of videos, and at tabletop role playing aficionado. Welcome to the Thursday edition of my bi weekly behind the scenes DM only a live stream crafting Icewind Dale, which I build right and prepare for our next session of Rhyme of the Frostbane. If you are playing characters of all Robin, Ray, Celeste, Edmund, or Thimbleweed, this session is not meant for you. I will see you all tomorrow, but for the rest of you, welcome. You know, there will be many, many spoilers. Stream our D&D sessions live on uh, on YouTube every Friday evening. Watch all of our D&D live series as well as reviews on my YouTube channel and read weekly session recaps at RogueWanson.com. Follow me on Twitter at RogueWanson and join our official Discord server with invite link into the description below. If you'd like to support the channel, please check out Patreon.com slash RogueWanson. Shout out to new patron James. Thank you for your support. For our campaign, we use Roll20.net for streaming. I use open broadcaster software with Streamlabs. Good morning, Nathan. So, we need to talk more about Chapter 4 of the wild beyond the witch light which involves the dragon taking off towards 10 towns and destroying uh pretty much most of 10 towns too bad for the players um i think you know i, I molded over a couple days and i think the reward for uh the players at least you know for splitting the party and actively trying to slow the dragon down and basically being pretty successful in that regard, I think I'm just going to let them get a long rest with no questions asked. Like, there's no, you know, penalty. There's no, oh, you got to, you know, have exhaustion because you're chasing after it or anything like that. Let's just say for whatever time-displaced magic benefit I can give them, uh, I think it's fair to just give them a long rest. I mean, they, they definitely need one. Um and then probably at the end of the long rest, that's when we'll have one of the, you know, Dwarger knock on their... I'm literally letting them even long rest in Sunblight if they want to go outside of their... But I think Sunblight, that way they can get the full long rest, the full long rest experience. Um, and that way, you know, the Dwarger can knock on the door towards the end of the long rest and be like, hey, you know, that dragon just broke out. You need to chase after it. Because that still lets me destroy 10 downs because of the speed at which the dragon can fly is obviously a lot faster than um, how the players can chase after it. So that's my current plan. Um, in fact, if we actually look at the notes for Destruction's Light, back to my time, and it takes, you know, I'm, I'm just following some pretty simple travel rules. I'm not doing the horrendous travel that is actually present in the book because I think it's too slow and i've already talked about how i really don't want to do a big you know arduous uh crawling along the even though you know tundra should be difficult but whatever you can just throw an encounter in there if you need to and i don't plan on using any encounters um because i think 10 towns itself will suddenly become a treasure trove of encounters so it's going to take the dragon a mere two hours just to reach dugan's hole and then it only takes 30 minutes for it to just completely destroy Dugan's Hole. And then, uh, or no, sorry, that, that's 30 hours to get to Dugan's I think it actually does only take it 30 minutes, though. Yeah, so 30 minutes, it destroys Dugan's Hole. And then it takes another 30 minutes to reach Goodmead, where it actually stays there for an hour and a half. So I think time-wise, um, you know, the players, let's go back. Uh, well, I can show you. I added some mushrooms to Celeste's uh, character, which is pretty funny. Um, I guess I could add, you know, the players might get um, the Lost Spire quest too if they think to do that before they leave in terms of Edmund checking that note. 
um, which is, you know, it served its purpose in terms of gating the players from unlocking that content too early. I didn't want them to do it in Act 1, and right now the dragon represents the end of Act 1, so it's perfect timing there. They can, at this point, they can unlock it at any time and go to the Lost Spire and do it, and that doesn't mess up my story or anything. Uh, so I think, oops, that's the wrong one. I'm going to add, add another one of these. There we go. Uh, we're just going to say... The, uh, let's see, rocks Gardalan Dragon is still active, programmed. Programmed to destroy Ten Town. You know, just kind of put a note in there, like, hey, this is kind of an active quest you guys have. <laughs> Can't this. There we go. All right, so official quest, I guess. All right, so if we look at the actual map, again, it only takes the dragon. So I'm going to let them long rest in Sunblight, no problem. Fully long rest, we're going to level up, uh, which is going to take some time, level up to six. Um, assuming Rochelle doesn't want to roll up a new character, I'm just going to let her level up as well, even though she doesn't have access to any of her abilities while she's a plant zombie. She literally only has that Spore Servant uh, template, which... Uh, I should probably do that because she's probably not going to do that if if I don't. Uh, in terms of, I should probably just duplicate her sheet and actually, might not be a bad idea to do right now actually, and turn her into a spore servant. <laughs> uh, what's the best way to do that? Just duplicate sheet exactly, and then we can actually do the template thing. Maybe I'll do that. I also, if you notice, took the liberty of organizing, since the party has actually acquired several... Uh, NPCs, something I did in our Tomb of Annihilation campaign, which I haven't done yet, uh, in this campaign is uh, actually keep track of all the NPCs that are with the party. And right now we're getting to be quite a few. So I've added them as a uh, kind of a drop-down menu under party, which is any NPCs that are traveling with the party. And, you know, technically could be used as allies in a fight. Although I think generally my party is, is unless they're like short on people or something, they're pretty good about just leaving people behind and not having those people involved in a fight. Um, I know at the very least, uh, Kapunuk would be, you know, thrilled to join in as a party NPC and, you know, party member could control him or not. Um, Valin may be a little bit more reticent, but could be convinced, and she's actually a pretty decently powerful spellcaster. Spellex and Blista would probably not want to be involved in those, in any kind of battles, but... Alright, so let's take... Uh, let's close this creatures. There we go. Copy of Celeste. And we're going to add that right here and i need to look up these spore servant rules again and all this one the celeste spore servant spore servant was not edited and controlled by fray i think i forget to change all those although chris actually took advantage of i think being able to see through heather's eyes so he can see the throne room stuff happening but i should clean that stuff up just so i remember that off. Read to hear you at normal speed. <laughs> I'm working my way through the crafting annihilation vids at two times. That's funny. I've slowed way down. <laughs> I haven't done that before, but I've heard that's a pretty effective tool uh, for a lot of folks. Is doing it a little slightly higher speed because obviously I'm doing all of this, you know, live, so I'm not editing anything. This is my normal speaking voice. My ums, my ahs, my pauses, my thought processes. But I'm glad you can catch live. That's fun. All right, so let's look at... Let's see. I think I can actually pull it up on... Or can I? Can I pull it up on roll 20? Or servant, because then I can use that as an aid. Oh, there we go. Sport servant template. It's right there. Sweet. Sport servant template. Okay, so let's go ahead and turn her into a sport servant. So this is a copy of her sheet, so I can fuck with it and not be worried about it. So, armor class, hit points, hits, dice, star oh, you know, the shit thing about me doing this, though, is she's, she's about to level up. So, anything she does, uh, um, I guess I can make her do it to both sheets. Oh, man, this is, uh, that's awkward. 
Because if she levels up on her sheet, then I've got the other one that's still level 5. Well, maybe it's still worth doing. Um, let's see. She becomes a plant. <laughs> I guess it's your race becomes plant. Lost characteristics. You basically lose all the shit that makes you you. Fully heals, and at least she'll be back at 45. You still have your hit points and things. More death saves. Uh, let's see. Assuming you rest and all that. I guess it'd just be a note of add this spore. Can I add a spore servant template in here? Or is that going to fuck it up? If this, see what this does. Ooh. You sure you want to turn this character into a spore servant template? <laughs> well, that's probably going to really jack things up. See what it does, though. Yeah, that doesn't work. <laughs> it literally just turns it. Okay. That's not going to work. <laughs> I don't think there's an undo here. Oh, well. Um, let's delete this. I was hoping it would be really clever about it. Last. Not clever enough. I'm not sure. I mean, I might have to wait until she levels up anyway. The main thing is... You get really crappy uh, mental stats, and you're, you only have blind sight up to 30 feet. You have no normal vision or senses, and you basically lose free will. You're a, you're a zombie. Um, I mentioned that she's basically controlled by Valrava, and I kind of just allowed uh, ownership to be transferred. <laughs> Let's try this again, shall we? Now, interestingly, it loses loses special traits, so I guess it would lose all of its... Oops, shoot. How do I go back? Uh, it says it loses special traits, so does she even lose her ability to do better strikes with her monk fists? Otherwise, I mean, the, the thing is they can still wield weapons, but, you know, monks don't normally wield... Oh, I guess she has a mop, so she would still wield a mop. You're smart enough to wield weapons, but it's not, not smart enough to have any other thoughts or anything. Alright, so you are a plant. Um, what is I'm going to do? Unaligned. I can't change the alignment on here. Oh, because I can do it right there. Unaligned. Plants have no... Oh, your speed is reduced by 50. That <laughs> puts her down to 40. <laughs> Still super fast. Alright, so ability score is the big thing that changes. Intelligence becomes a 2. Your wisdom becomes a 6. Which is real bad for a monk. Real bad for spellcast in general. And your charisma becomes a 1. Really tear apart your mental saves. And then you have blind sight. Where is the vision on this character sheet? How long has it been since I had it? Like, it hasn't been that long since I had to deal with the character. Just in a campaign. Uh, I guess it's just blind sight just written on the side. How do you do blind sight in the character sheets? Get on here. Like dark vision's a thing. Maybe I can add blind sight in here. Sights. Whoops, 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 whoops. Whoops. Why can I not grab this? Not letting me grab it? No, I guess I can't grab it. Okay. Fine. Um you have condition immunities. I think that's all I'll do for now. Season language. Just add the whole thing about Spore Servant. Spore Servant. Source is... Other. <laughs> it's kind of an other. Uh, I feel like I should just copy and paste this. There we go. At least the information is there. That's the important thing. Poor servant. Okay. So, we can figure it out from there. 
I don't want to dwell too much on it. All right, moving on. So the dragon's going to take two hours, whereas for the players, I think we mentioned it's going to take them a couple. I think it's going to take six hours for them to get there. If, if they travel three miles an hour from Sunblight, I wonder if it's quicker to go on the left side or the right side. Figure that out, because they're going to figure that out. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six. So six hours that way. One, two, three, four. Same, same difference. Six, so it's going to take them six hours. So if the dragon leaves the same time they do, you know what I may do for... Um, I could even have them still have the dragon trapped, still clawing its way out, have them leave to go towards Dugan Hole, and the dragon could... They could just see the dragon flying overhead and just fucking like a fighter jet compared to them at that speed. Um, And they still... I mean, the Dugan's Hole is still destroyed by the time... I mean, it literally... Takes the player six hours to reach the Dugan's Hole. The dragon only takes two hours. And then it takes 30 minutes to destroy Dugan's Hole. <laughs> so many jokes. And then another half hour to reach Goodmead. So now we're at three hours. An hour and a half to destroy Goodmead. We're at four and a half hours. And then it goes to East Haven. So honestly. Honestly, by the time they reach, if if I have the dragon leave at the same time the players do, by the time they reach Dugan's Hole, the dragon's arriving at East Haven. So I can already prep for having, which I which I think is good because I want them to be able to see that destruction at first, have to deal with the fallout, and then, assuming they want to make a beeline towards East Haven, then they can finally have that initial confrontation uh, with the dragon as an as an actual active war zone. So with Dugan's Hole and Goodmead. We can kind of have the, here's the post, you know, dragon devastation, and you actually have to deal with the fact that it, you know, destroyed these towns and the aftermath of that. And then once you get to East Haven, you can deal with it in a present tense and actually have an active ongoing threat uh, once they reach East Haven. That's, of course, assuming they follow the dragon's path, which I think they would initially. Then it gets, I mean, I really hope they go to East Haven. Um, Then it gets interesting because do they decide to continue to try and chase after the dragon, in which case they'll never be able to catch up with it because it's going to take them the interesting thing is that the dragon could just fly over the frozen Loch Denishir here and, and reach Cairdenaval in only an hour now it does stay at East Haven for I think eight six or eight hours uh eight hours so I mean I guess technically they could leave while the dragon's still destroying East Haven I doubt they would they would probably help stay although the, the dragon would have been there for a couple hours by the time they reach East Haven for sure because it's going to take the players you know it's going to take them an hour a little over an hour to reach Goodmead and then, assuming they're in good meat a little bit, dealing with the complications that I've introduced, uh, one, it's going to take them another two and a half hours to reach East Haven. So probably the timing will be um, when they reach East Haven, the dragon will be uh, towards the end of its destructive reign in East Haven, which again, I think the timing will work well for that because the players will just be in pure survival, helping out you know, with the different complication events I've created. And then the dragon will leave and then the players will have to choose, do we continue chasing the dragon and just trying to clean up the mess, or do we go to Bryn Shander knowing the dragon's path and try to um, basically just help prepare the defenses at Bryn Shander? Hopefully I can have an in-between session there so I can plan depending on what the... Because I want to let the players make the choice, but I need to be able to... That's a big deal for me to prep. Do I have to prep all these other towns or not? Um... What I would like to do is, in East Haven, have them deal with Ravison again, but not in a context of we have to fight Ravison, but actually she's, you know, even though she's an Auralite, she's still trying to protect her city against this threat and actually, like, trying to summon Aural's power. And maybe maybe Ravison gets horribly injured or, or drained of her power or something to where she has to then, like, give the players a task to say, hey... If, if you, you know, Bryn Chander is the best place that we have to make a final stand, take this MacGuffin... And you can use it to summon, you know, an, an avatar of Oral to try to take this dragon down. And that way, it, instead of Ravison doing the thing, the players then get a chance to do the thing. And that also motivates them to go to Bryn Shander rather than going to all these other 
uh, little town. So I think that's the way we're going to break up this entire chapter is basically, again, it assumes, but you always have to kind of assume a little bit when you're prepping for D&D. Um, it assumes the players go to Dugan's Hole first and then follow the general path up the road toward, through Goodmead. So only to prep those two. And then they go to East Haven. They finally catch up to the dragon in East Haven, but it becomes more of a survival thing and really probably never a traditional combat encounter with the actual dragon because it even mentions in East Haven, it never fucking lands. So if it never lands, it's just fucking doing strafing runs at 120 feet in the air, blasting down with that radiant beam, just destroying everything. Now I can still have things on the ground and there's a cool thing where there's uh, like Dwerger sleeper agents that are being activated and still, you know, crises the players can deal with. So there's still shit they can do, which is why the dragon's more of an environmental hazard than an actual combat encounter versus in Bryn Shander when they summon the oral avatar, then they can ground the dragon and actually have a, a cool big boss fight. How big old is the dragon? Well, the it's not a real dragon. That's the thing. It's it's a construct that has been built to destroy 10 towns. Stat-wise, I'm not actually sure. I think it's an, close to an adult, if I had to guess. Uh, let's actually look at the Charlotte dragon. Since I keep talking about it. Uh, I haven't actually done the comparison of it. AC of 1747 hit points... Uh, it's, it's attack is a plus 11. It's a CR 11, so that's no fucking joke. Uh, if I had to guess, I would say it's probably close to an adult dragon. Look at an adult dragon. Oh my gosh, there's so much information. Yeah, so adult dragon is pretty damn close. It's got fewer hit points and fewer armor class, but offensively, it's pretty damn close to an adult dragon. It also has a unique um, uh, presence that instead of frightful presence, it actually like charms people around it to go insane and, and attack each other, which is awesome, but it can't do it in the air. It only works when it's on the ground um, attacking. So I thought that'd be a cool like challenge to add to the players in one of the towns, like in East Haven when they attack it. But unless I change it, uh, it nobody's actually affected by malevolent presence unless it gets within 30 feet of them, which it's only going to do that if it's actually going to land. Uh, but otherwise, it's a really cool effect. DC 16 wisdom save, and a creature has to spend its turn moving and attacking the nearest other creature, and it just is an ongoing effect until you make the save. Pretty gnarly. Uh, the dragon does have some good defenses. Uh, basically, the players, I think, all have mostly magical stuff, except for Thimbleweed, uh, which means he's due to get some kind of magical equipment. Uh, but it's got damage resistance to all those immunities, condition immunities, just because it's a construct. And yeah, I can give it more. I mean, it's going to have as many hit points as it needs, but that's my plan. So, um, you know, we're going to spend some time next session uh, leveling up. We're going to get everybody to level six and divvying out all the magic items they got. They got a huge payout from Sunblight. And then they get a chance to long rest Unless I think of something differently, I'm okay with just even waiting on having the dragon not leave until the players do. And it just depends on what the time... Where I think it might be more exciting to have, you know, somebody knock on their door and be like, hey, that dragon's just about, you know, clawed its way out. You guys need to go or something. Or maybe have it already go and, like, you guys got to chase after it and maybe just nobody's aware of how fast this thing is. Um, or... Or have it still trapped, the players leave, head towards Dugan's Hole, thinking, okay, we can, you know, meet it there and head it off at the pass and save this town. And then all of a sudden, at some point on the way, the dragon just flies overhead way faster than they can ever catch up. And they realize, oh shit, we can't catch up to this thing. And then by the time they reach Dugan, which they, they've never been to Dugan's Hole, they don't know anything about it. It turns out it's a really podunk small town. There's no defenses, no walls, not really any militia. So this town just gets completely destroyed very quickly. So my idea, and, you know, what I want to do with this chapter is expand to make actual, like, events and things happen, um, so it's not just seeing the devastation. So my idea is to have Dugan's Hole uh, be a undead combat encounter. We have not fought a single undead in this entire campaign, and that's just unacceptable. <laughs> we fought a lot of undead in the last campaign, um, and uh, I'm, I'm pleased we haven't uh, hit that yet at all here, but I think this is a good opportunity to uh, essentially have the party show up thinking, okay, we can 
you know, help this town or deal with it or something. And it turns out the entire town has just been completely demolished. All that's left is just body, like burned, charred bodies, buildings destroyed. But what if the players, you know, see this, witness this, and then all of a sudden angry, vengeful spirits start popping up and maybe even start yelling at the players for, you know, not saving them, you were too late, all this kind of cool shit, and then they have to fight a bunch of, you know, fucking ghosts, so... To do that, I have, uh, and yes, you can make jokes, but I called the map uh, Destroyed Hole because it's Tugan's Hole. Um, this is the map that I'm using. And also, we have not had a full party combat encounter in like two sessions uh, because of the way the party split up. So this will be a fun chance for everybody to, you know, have a, a combat encounter. And really their first combat encounter of level six. Um and you all can help me decide what, you know, kind of creatures I want to use and all that. But I'm, I really, I kind of want to go towards the angle of using ghostly undead versus just zombies. Um, I, I think it's, it's more impactful to use the ghosts and that adds to the horror element versus a bunch of just uh, shambling zombies. I, I don't know. I feel like the ghosts you, you could explain better as just being angry vengeful spirits who were murdered by this dragon versus a bunch of zombies who are like wait is our necromancer around you know i don't i don't i don't know why I, I make that distinction but i feel like thematically um the ghosts work a little bit better by the way this map is from the roll 20 marketplace my favorite uh, artist gabriel picard and this is from the map pack village to pillage pillaged city i will uh Paste that in here, and hopefully I'll remember to do that in the show notes. But that is uh, from the Roll20 Marketplace, um, and it's it's really good, just selection of uh, town maps. Um, this one, unfortunately, has, you know, just grass, so I kind of cropped it, so you can't really see. And yes, I know Dugan's Hole is supposed to be a really teeny tiny town with not really big buildings, but I couldn't really, I mean, the players don't know that, so um, that's just what I've used. I don't have a map of Dugan's Hole on here, but it's very, very small. Um, I'm making it so, okay, maybe it's not quite that small, but still, you know, it's, it should be big enough to have a little bit of a main square area here, and we'll say the players can, you know, hopefully, uh, end up disembarking and trying to go through and look for, you know, survivors or something. Hello, Jason, Fireworks Factory, good morning. So, my initial thought process is... Uh, to make it more interesting, you know, the player's level 6 right now, so they can handle some shit, and they are fully rested. So one thing I want to do is treat, kind of treat this whole chapter as one, uh, you know, adventure, basically, so one long rest sequence. And um, so I need to start thinking of it as a dungeon crawl and basically start, you know, trying to drain those those resources. Now, the weird thing is the players are, if they want... They could get some long rests here. Also, this could be an interesting situation where, you know, if you're if you're going more than 24 hours without a rest, you're supposed to actually accrue exhaustion, and that's something that could play into the timing here because the dragon is a fucking terminator. It does not sleep. It does not rest. It does not stop. It just keeps going. So that's that's something the players have to factor in. It's like, oh shit, we need to long rest at some point in one of these, you know, half destroyed towns. But meanwhile, the dragon's going to keep doing its thing. So it'll be an interesting. Um, option or something the players will have to factor in and, and I'll convey that is like, you know, hey, you guys can absolutely rest. There's nothing to stop you from resting in these towns um, and still getting a long rest, but the dragon's not going to stop. So if you can push, if you want to push yourselves, you can push yourselves. Now, total, I think I calculated it's going to be about 40 hours or something that this dragon's going to be actively from the moment it leaves Sunblight to when it arrives in Bryn Shander. So that, you know, presents opportunities for a long rest if the players want that or they can just you know move on to bridge which if they're gonna move on to bridge chander anyway you, that would allow them a long rest before a final encounter and i would just let that happen that's fine um but if not then they could you know potentially push themselves I'm running a post dragon attack in a different campaign oh nice yeah i love this artist um and i pretty much like all of their uh map packs i find them very useful especially the generic ones that yeah we end up using all the time which are like villages caves you know, forests, roads, just all that stuff to where you can just plop those maps in there because that's really what we need most of the time. Yes, it's really nice to get those bespoke, custom, cool, you know, unique location maps, but more often than not, you just need the kind of generic ones to be able to throw in there and fill things out. So I've got actual, uh, you know, some bodies on the ground, some charred bodies, like a Bob Ross right now. 
And then, you know, here's our little... So my, my thought process was, okay, I want to use Ghostly Undead. I think that's going to work well in terms of, oh, these are just vengeful townsfolk out to, you know, have revenge on the marshals who didn't save them for, you know, whatever reason. And there's not going to be any social stuff here. It's just these are angry ghosts. And now that, well, the party's level six, they're fully rested. Why not throw a wraith as like the... Maybe it's even the speaker, which has been raised up and she points an accusing finger and, and has this, you know, speech about how you shouldn't have done that. And then a bunch of specters kind of spawn in and to make it a little bit more dynamic, uh, maybe if the party doesn't immediately rush to the Wraith, because it has the ability to raise bodies as specters. So you've got a mini-boss who can actually create uh, minions, essentially. Now, unfortunately, that is its action, uh, but that's still a pretty good use of its action to just spawn in a uh, CR, I think a CR1, but specters are pretty strong. Specters are, are um, deceptively strong. Very low armor class, not very many hit points, but their attack does 3d6 and has a chance to uh, reduce your max hit points. So you get a lot of those suckers on there. Those are deceptively powerful if you're hitting with them. I mean, it's only a plus four. And normally sunlight sensitivity, but Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, uh, no sunlight right now. Everything is just dark. So a chance to use all of these creatures that normally would only find, you know, in dungeons because of that. So, uh, I like the idea of having a Wraith as kind of a mini-boss, and then it's going around, it's, it's going to initially, you know, spawn some specters, and I would love to hear from all of you about how many I should use initially. Um, you know, we're going to have our full party, uh, Reese Michelle on vacation next week, not this week, so we still have our full, uh, complement of player characters, so, and they're fully rested, so how many should I have initially, and then how many, and then obviously the Wraith, unless the party just immediately bum-rushes the Wraith and, you know, surrounds it, then it's going to try to raise people. The other cool thing is, by the way, ghosts uh, can move through walls uh, as incorporeal movement, and I'm going to try to craft this map, so perhaps these ghosts can do these hit-and-run, unfortunately you're still taking a tax opportunity, but at least the Wraith could maybe disappear inside of a building, you know, off screen on its action spawn a specter and then the specter like spawns in uh as a new combatant so we can try to um you know draw the map dynamic lighting and, and make that happen i did actually use bodak uh bodax in our last campaign tomb of annihilation they had uh i don't remember them being very memorable but they are very very creepy i like that cre that's really creepy where you take a human face and you like elongate the jaw into like that screaming mouth thing <laughs> they use that on like the mummy does that and i guess it's the actual ghost face scream mask like uh, that's always a really creepy way of distorting the human body all right so let's make some dynamic lighting here which i just went ahead and kept the roofs uh, maybe i don't need to do that maybe i should have open buildings in case the players actually go inside these buildings because they're the way the dynamic lighting works they're not actually going to see the roof part, so I don't know. Oh, please tell me I kept this one open. Uh, right. Oh, that's because I searched body. Let's get rid of body. Premium assets. Marketplace. Uh, damn it, it's not open again. Um, Alright, what was it called? It was called Village to Pillage. Village to Pillage. Is it on here? B-I-L-L, two L's in village. I don't know that. Village to pillage. Uh, and yes, I do. I, was, I work with Roll20, so I have access to all of their things, which comes in handy. Um, village city. Before we get too far, let's look in here. So, I apologize if my overlay kind of covers some of this up. Wait, which one was I using? Uh, not that one. It has gone for the roof because there's roof ones and there's roofless. Roofless. That's uh, not quite that one. Block seven. Oh shoot, that's the end of them. Uh, maybe it was block seven. No, I don't think so because it's got a. There's a little one there. Yeah, because there's an L-shaped one there. That's the one. Block five. Answer is block five. 
Oh, I guess that was. Is this the roof one? I guess it's not the roof one. Okay, I guess it's the right one then. Yeah, because that's the open one. Okay, that's fine then. We'll keep that. It just looks destroyed. Um, So let's block this out. Which some of this is destroyed and open. Keep that the way it is. Oops. Need a line. Come on, give me a line. Now we add dynamic lighting to our maps. Line. Lines, the lines, lines, lines. Make this one big thing here. What's the purpose of the encounter? They're supposed to be able to fight a dragon. This spooky encounter shouldn't be too difficult. Um. Well, hopefully it's not too. I mean, we can talk about the balance for sure. That's a. That's why we're here. <laughs> um. So as, as I mentioned earlier, um, this is this whole chapter. I'm going to kind of turn into a a one long rest adventure, but with the caveat that actually they could long rest in between. Because the dragon's uh, reign of destruction, I think I calculated it out to be about 40 hours it's going to take to actually go th meticulously go through every town and destroy them all and then end up in Bryn Shander. So that right there should give the players enough time to long rest. If they wanted to push themselves, they could and go without long resting um, just to try to you know, maybe minimize the dragon. Maybe they do want to follow the dragon around, try to minimize the, da the damage and things, in which case I would have to come up with a lot more events and things for them to do. Um, but you know, yeah, they're fully rested. I'm just trying to throw encounters at them. This is going to be probably the only one that's actually a full on combat encounter. I may include, uh, until they reach the dragon with the exception that maybe when they get to East Haven and maybe in Bryn Shander, I'll use those Dwerger sleeper agents, but I'm not even sure if those will ever be a, a straight up combat encounter. It might be like, you know, you arrive and there's a bunch of things happening and maybe you know cinematically you can take out some Dorga or something um but mostly it's going to be them like skill checks and them saving uh people or helping refugees or doing you know some of the role play thing it just happens to be that this the first town they arrive in and maybe i'm setting a bad precedent by having this be the first one pre uh, presents the best opportunity to uh unleash a just undead fight at him because there's nothing there's basically nobody they can save in this town this town has been absolutely destroyed so the point of this encounter is to showcase the dragon's destruction because they weren't the party wasn't there to help or do anything and these guys didn't get any forewarning or nothing they just got completely destroyed so it's to showcase the destruction which they'll also get that at goodmead but goodmead they'll be able to actually rescue people so uh they'll you know it'll the attack took the dragon longer, and it specifically mentions the dragon is programmed to not destroy the mead hall because Zardarok wanted to keep the mead hall. So a lot of the you know uh, survivors can flee and uh, try to uh, basically hide there. It says the dragon spares the mead hall but destroys every other structure in town in one hour. Uh, a quarter of the population is killed. The survivors flee into the woods before veering toward the east way and following the road to Bryn Shander, taking most of their livestock with them. So that'll be the first instance of, um, you know, helping refugees. I'll have some events where the players can actually, you know, maybe rescue some people. You know, maybe there's a, 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 a uh, I don't know if the, dra does the dragon's radiant breath create fire? Maybe it does. I don't know. But, it you know, maybe there's a building on fire or there's a building collapsing and you have to run into a building and save people. Like, you know, all these things are, are stuff the players could do uh, in Goodmead. And then uh, again in East Haven, but the added effect of East Haven, you know, I'm kind of gradually adding complications. The East Haven one, they can do the same things, but the dragons will be actively attacking. It'll be towards the end of its attacking run in East Haven, so they'll be able to help, you know, maybe even help the militia in some way or do something that can actually affect the dragon. But this is going to be spread out into this an ongoing, probably at least two or three or four sessions, uh, which is my goal because <laughs> after this chapter, after this event, they're going to level up again. So they're basically only doing this and then essentially going to level and i could wait if, if it really took no time at all i could wait until they do like their next thing which could be the dark duchess um location it could be the lost buyer of netheril i could technically wait on that but honestly because i'm going to kind of fast track um the leveling 
I want them to reach tier three by the end of the campaign. I'm they kind of might be leveling up a little bit quicker in the second act than even they did in the first act because the first act had a lot of that, you know, low level content and you really don't want to level them too fast because they can very much out level it. Whereas here I can properly scale uh, these events and encounters and then maybe they'll actually level up weirdly a little bit faster in tier two than they did in tier one. Yes, this is before the final dragon fights. Uh, this is after, well, this is, yeah, so this is after the dragon has arrived here, but before they actually, um, fight the dragon, if that makes sense. Where did you get these calculations from? My party came straight from Sunblight without a rest and couldn't get there until two towns had been destroyed. Um, well, yes, that's what is happening, Jason. Um, by the time they, I, I did mention that I've changed the, uh, travel rules for the players. I've sped them up a lot more, uh, that, you know, they're in a wagon and it just mentions the fact that it, it takes a long time for the players to travel anywhere um, by, like, dog sled or whatever was in the campaign. So I think I've sped that up. I don't actually remember where see that information from. Is that in Welcome to the North? The Wilderness Survival? I forget where the... Overland Travel. So yeah, even with on a dog sled, you only travel a mile an hour. I have tripled that and said, okay, if you're in a, you know, vehicle... Even under the tundra, you can still travel three miles an hour. So I've sped them up way up. Now, even with them being sped up, it's still, by my calculations, takes them six hours to reach Dugan's Hole from Sunblight, and it takes the dragon two hours. So yes, that's why they're reaching Dugan's Hole and having it be destroyed. The dragon will already have destroyed Dugan's Hole. It'll have already destroyed uh, Goodmead. It'll basically be, I think, destroying East Haven by the time the players reach this point. So I'm assuming once they have this battle, which, you know, combat doesn't take that long, they immediately go to Goodmead and then they'll deal with another, you know, crisis situation with Goodmead having been destroyed, but at least you can rescue people. And then assuming, you know, again, we got to assume a lot of stuff. They're going to go up to East Haven. Then by the time they reach East Haven, they will be able to catch the dragon, but the dragon will be toward because the dragon spends eight hours at East Haven, but it'll be towards the end of its destruction. It'll be a, you know, very much destroyed uh, town, I believe. I mean, it's, yeah, it spends eight hours there, destroys half the town structures, including most of the docks. Um, and they'll be able to deal with even more, you know, an ongoing crisis. But then, of course, the dragon just, you know, soon after that takes off towards Caradineval, and then the players have to make a choice whether to, again, continue chasing the dragon or uh, going to Bryn Shander, knowing that, all right, it's going to destroy like eight other towns if we do this, but we can, you know, help the refugees and build up defenses and really prepare. And maybe get a long rest, you know, after all these things we've done. Um, but that's, you know, that's the, <laughs> yeah, the drinking. I, I expect that to be a big topic for uh, tomorrow is is all of the jokes about Dugan's Hole being destroyed. Just completely fucked. So this is going to be a wall. Actually, I should not have... Leave a little bit of graphic there so they can see the proper wall. Proper wall. Rubble. I just thought it'd be interesting to just, you know, throw a... And, you know, again, it's been two sessions since we had a full party, you know, combat encounter. So I just thought this would be a fun opportunity to do that. Um, that this is not, you know, it's not like every town's going to be completely destroyed and turned into a bunch of vengeful ghosts. That's just That's just what's happening with this town. Because it's a small town that couldn't do shit, and its people are very pissed off for whatever reason. For reasons. <laughs> Drawing some dynamic lighting on the map to make it look like uh, proper ruins. There's some holes in here. Um, collapsed areas. Do like this. Kind of hard to make dynamic lighting with a bunch of half destroyed walls. There we go. Shows up okay. Look at this side. Make the walls. Actually, it won't be that effective for the, for the specters to disappear because there's plenty of openings. <laughs> uh, let's actually just close this one off then. Go this one. I don't usually do this on the stream because it's just not very interesting, but it's something we got to do on roll twenty. 
interesting is you can take whatever map and then depending on your dynamic lighting that's what the actual walls and shit become that's really up to you to easily mold a map to whatever you need it to look like I, I suspect we're not going to need this much of the map but we'll see Let's take Valravin here and see what it looks like. One per character seems reasonable to me. Does that include the Wraith or not the Wraith, though? So again, it's, you know, dark nighttime in the Rhyme world. That is what... Ooh, the, sh the charred bodies look especially, especially nice. Okay. Kind of looks like we need to make more dynamic lighting there. I need to fill out the walls inside there too. Be more ruiny, not just big open squares. Uh, there we go. Some sightline changes, open things up a bit. Technically, they don't see the second level from the first one. I guess they kind of can. It's just weird how you try to do that with a. It, the whole problem is trying to make a top-down map with some, you know, openings and some not. Obvious limitations there. I don't think they're gonna see the inside of this one. That's true. Celeste is nerfed. Uh, yeah, and I'm mindful of that too. Like, you don't want to, and I don't want to throw too many, you know, combat encounters or adventures to the party. I think I'm gonna force them to have to get to Bryn Shander to actually resurrect her because, um, I'm just gonna say that East Haven doesn't have the means to do that, and or maybe the priest has been killed there or something. So that that alone is probably what's gonna motivate. I forgot about that. That's probably gonna motivate um, the players, in addition to what Ravison's gonna give them in East Haven, to go straight to Bryn Shander rather than try to chase the dragon. Excuse me. Rather than try to chase the dragon around to like Kerdenoval, Kerkonig, and all that, if they can go straight to Bryn Shander, especially if they go before the dragon attacks, then they can go to the priest. And get her properly resurrected, and then maybe she's only a spore servant for like, you know, a, maybe two sessions. I, I could see, you know, one session is uh, tomorrow. We're gonna level up. Um, we're gonna, uh, you know, divvy out the magic items. We're gonna travel, which I don't have any. Uh, we, there may be some story development. I'll, I'll include like Valin can tell her story about uh, basically the main quest, um, and then uh, and maybe you know Edmund gets the the quest for the Lost Spire properly. And then they'll reach Dugan's Hole, have this common encounter, and that's probably going to end our session for tomorrow. And then our next week's session will probably be them, you know, moving on to Good Mead, dealing with that, moving on to East Haven, dealing with that. That's probably going to be a session. And then session, the third session of this chapter will probably be Bryn Shander. And maybe we'll even need another session after that to deal with the dragon. So, uh, but when, but the, hopefully the first one they reach Bryn Shander, then we can resurrect, uh, Celeste. So she may only be a sports runner for like two sessions. Um, assuming she doesn't want to roll a new character, which as far as I'm aware, I think she's okay with being a temporary sports servant because, you know, resurrection is a thing in D&D. Like, you know, they've got, they've got the body and the body is actually even more useful than a dead body. It's technically a plant zombie. Uh, and they've got the means. They, they got a huge payout from Sunblight. Some stuff is worth hundreds, if not thousands of gold. You can give just one of those to somebody and they'll be like, oh, shit, yeah, you know, resurrection right away, whatever you need. Also, the party has, you know, decently ingratiated themselves to Tin Town. So in terms of their faction standing, I think they would be uh, the uh, NPCs would be more than willing to help them. It takes an hour to cast and comes back to the four. Oh, that's a good point. We should look at that. I don't see the... The uh, the time is being an issue because uh, unless unless I'm really playing it, they're playing it close. Uh, I don't see the dragon like showing up or anything while this is happening. It does take an hour. Down worth at least five five hundred GP. Yeah, so I think uh, we have it in our house rules. I think it's it does it cost five hundred? Does it cost more than that? Okay, a thousand. So okay, there's an upcharge. <laughs> um, I could even offer maybe a, a, a discount if the party you know wants to persuade or do something. Uh, you know just play the, up the fact that like hey we're your best chance at surviving this you need to resurrect us and we've done all this work for you then like okay i'll give you you know do it for 800 or something but it's going to cost them hundreds of gold because you know there should be a penalty there market takes a minus four penalty to all attack rolls saving throws and ability checks every time the target finishes a long rest the penalty is reduced by one 
until it disappears. So that's different than four levels of exhaustion. Or raised dead. Um, I think that's what you do, right? You turn on a dead creature, you touch to life. Been dead no longer than 10 days, which it has not. Just turns to life with one hit point. Uh, can't return an undead creature to life, but she's not undead, she's a plant. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, doesn't say anything about plants. Um, I guess you could you could argue that they have to do like a then greater restoration or something, but I, I think honestly, I would allow raise dead to probably work. It does say is it cures non magical diseases, so you could argue that the spore thing is a is a disease, not like a curse. Cut off our cheaper budget druid res. Sorry, you're a knoll now. <laughs> yeah, Celeste will level up. Assuming she wants to continue playing the character, then it makes sense to go ahead and level her up. Um, but she will be a spore servant using the spore servant template until she does get the raised dead. Um, but this is, yeah, this is interesting. We haven't, we haven't dealt with this before. That's true. You could just kill the spore servant. That would be the, um, the very brutal way of doing it. Spore wouldn't do anything. It would just sit there. So you could have a... <laughs> the priest could be like, uh, well, unfortunately, it's a spore servant now, so I'd have to... You have to destroy this body. And that would be a very awkward uh, way to handle it. They just... They have to kill it. <laughs> so, but yeah, minus four to everything, basically. And then every time you finish a long rest, the penalty is reduced by one. So essentially, you start out with a minus four, and then when you have a long rest, it becomes a minus three. I wonder, you'd have to track that. In the, I guess you'd probably set it up as a, uh, like this bless. You'd set that up as a global modifier, maybe, and just have it be like a minus. Just do a minus number. And every time you long rest, the, re the penalty is reduced. That's rough. It would basically be, that would be a factor for the, for the dragon fight. Um, after that, you know, the party technically has some time, so you could probably get some long rests in before going on your next venture, but oof, yeah, that's a that's a bit of a penalty. Exhaustion would be easier to track. I wonder why they didn't just use it. You know, it's so weird. You'd think they would have used exhaustion because you almost never get these just penal the, uh, the, the modifiers that you have to keep track of like that in 5e. I think they would have just used exhaustion. All right, good to know, though. All right, so anyway, um, so I like the idea of, of having the Wraith, because I think the Wraith is a pretty solid, which we can roll uh, hit points for these guys, too. Just a cool, like, you know, boss ghost thing, uh, moving around the field, targeting all the dead bodies and turning them into specters. But having some initially is important, because you need to, you know, have some creatures for the players to fight. So maybe we'll start off with four. And Celeste is a plant zombie, we'll just do four. The other option is I could definitely have her, if she wanted to, just control the Goliath Kapuna, because he would be more than willing to join the party as a uh, combatant if they wanted to, um, if she really wanted to play with somebody that wasn't a, you know, total zombie. Now, he doesn't have any abilities. He's just swinging his, you know, javelin or whatever weapon he's got. I could make it exhaustion, yeah. Um, I wonder technically what is the worst one. Look at people's exhaustion rules. Exhaustion, four levels of exhaustion is probably worse. Four levels means, well, I don't have to use four, I see you do whatever level. Disadvantage ability checks, speed is halved, disadvantage on attack rolls and saving throws, and hit point maximum halved. But the same rules would apply in terms of every time you long rest, it reduces the penalties. So that is interesting. Exhaustion can be cured by restoration spells. Interesting. Interesting. So so you could pay you could pay for the the complete package of the healthcare system. <laughs> and say, look, can we uh can we get a can we get a restoration in there too? Because that that's gonna cost you some money. That's that's an interesting point. They could just pay to get rid of the penalties. <laughs> I mean, what is gold if not just paying for all this, right? Like, that's what it's there for. Uh, good restoration. You can reduce the target's exhaustion level by one. Oof, oof. It only reduces exhaustion by one with one casting of greater restoration. Jeez. 
That is brutal. That's brutal. But yeah, you could cure greater rest. Of, but I mean, the way I've got it set up on, like, well, I mean, the players might have that spell, but I don't think they do. Maybe somebody could take it. Can bards take that spell? I mean, if they actually had the spell, I guess, but still, it only reduces it by one per casting. It is a bard spell. But 5th level, I don't think they have access to 5th level spells. At 6th level. I, I fucking hate that that's still dumb. Didn't 4th edition solve that? I think 4th edition solved that, where they made the actual spellcasting level be the same as the fucking player level. <laughs> yeah. Jonas Undersnails will pay for it. <laughs> Maybe so. Um, so we'll start off with, I think we'll start off with a Wraith and four Spectres, and then every initial turn, unless they lock it down pretty quick, the Wraith will then continue to roam around and make a few more Spectres, enough to where, you know, things get interesting. Um, let's roll some, oops, are these, these are on the token level, not bad. On the map level, I usually do that, I mess with things on the token level first and then Put them on the map level later. You don't want to be fucking with the map level too often. Let's take these guys. Can we roll? I probably got to restart my API. Um, let's do that real quick. Real quick. My hours played. Trips. <laughs> now they're disabled. There's a big cost to it, yeah. Which I think I literally upcharged it with our house rules, where it is like a penalty. See if it works now. There we go. All right, so that roll hit points. Let's roll for this one. There we go. There's our initial combat encounter. Uh, back to using a five-foot grid map, which is also enjoyable. And yeah, just a you know basic kind of stepping stone, but showcases a destroyed town and um, you know the fact that there's nobody to save here, unless you consider uh, uh, destroying their spirits and bringing them to rest, saving the citizens, which is away I guess have the players down here we'll have the wraith kind of back here and we'll have specters kind of popping up out of all these buildings which will be pretty effective so we're going to put you know what I'll, I'm not even going to put them on the map yet until I do this cutscene and then we can just have the specters starting here I'm going to put one back there to kind of hide it put one there to kind of hide it a little bit, take advantage of the walls. That'll be pretty cool. And then we'll go ahead and plop on here. I make her look like a plant. Plant symbol. <laughs> this encounter real quick. Probably. Um, you know, it's, I don't, I think it's meant to be like super hard encounter. The, the players are fully rested. I think it's fun to level up, uh, be fully rested and jump into a combat fight. I got to sneeze. Excuse me. And, you know, let them unleash their abilities. Um, they don't know, you know, how much they need to gauge their resources at this point, how long this whole dragon thing is going to last. Um, but I don't. I don't think I have a problem with them wrecking the encounter too much. It's not, you know, not every, again, it's, it's difficult because I'm kind of wanting to make this into a dungeon area in terms of, Hey, this is your one long rest for the, for the chapter, but I can't because they're literally going from town to town and the dragon's going to take so many hours to destroy towns that it, they're probably are going to get another long rest before they even confront the dragon in the end. But at least this way I started draining the resources for this area and then good mead which shouldn't be any combat but it's going to be a lot of you know skill checks and some hazards basically traps and stuff and then in east haven which will probably involve all of those things and that will be essentially their one adventuring day for that there you go blow off some steam after losing celeste 
Indeed. And I'll put them, you know, maybe here, give them some distance between the Wraith, and that'll be our little battle map encounter. So I think that will do it for uh, this week's, or this Thursday's Crafting Icewind Dale. If you enjoy the content, please check out patreon.com slash roguewatson. Shouts to Platinum Patrons, Joe Will, Tiny Dancer, Christopher Thomas, Adam Stan, Nathan, Alex, William, I'm Loud, Al Furcon, Kyle, Sklenia, Genocider, and James. And Gold Patrons, RPG, Papercrafts, Pretty Boy, and Yuma, Marcus, Dead Lizard, Lion, Sam, Lumpy Spuds, Jerome, Blood Angel, Verus, Baboon, Baboon, Nathan, Fasica, Tortoise, and James. Thank you all very much for your support, and I will see you for D&D tomorrow night.